As usually on a Sunday morning, it's another edition of this week's Unedited. We started the week with the state capture inquiry, which continued to hog the headlines, together with the sideshows around uh, the Public Enterprises Minister, Pravin Gordon, and former Treasury Director General Fuzile Lungisa told their side of the story. But there was much noise, literally. In the background, heckling Gordon. Our SABC political editor, Dumasani Shlope, takes us through the top stories of the week that was and the week ahead. Well, that was an interesting one because for me, that is the essence of the state capture. If the state capture inquiry has to do nothing else, could be what it did uh, last week because the core of the capture, it happened at three institutions. One, it's at the state-owned institutions. Two, the treasury. Three, is through SARS. Once you capture this, you have captured the state. So the interesting part is that you had the former minister of public enterprises, uh, Barbara Hogan, and the current minister of public enterprises, Pravin Gordhan, mm-hmm. who also doubled at some point as a minister of finance, and then he was also the commissioner of SAS. And you had a former DG, uh, Lungisa Fuzile, testifying too. And then the current DG of Treasury. So essentially, the commission is done hearing one side of the story. If you are going to cross-examine, the commission will be done within two or three weeks because that's the crux of the Commission. But then what has been happening outside in the fringes with the EFF protesting is partly EFF and not partly EFF. I think for me there are some serious contestations within the ANC. The ANC is not a very united political party. So so those that are not necessarily happy with Pravin Gordhan from within the ANC and they are act- actively campaigning against him, they are likely to leak information to the EFF. And the EFF has got its own issues with, you know, Pravin Kodan, and they are going to use that information. It also reflected what the commission is increasingly becoming. A useful football for those that have political contestation to battle with one another. And they use it, you know, to table information, to drive new windows, all of those kinds of issues. It's not so much limited to EFF versus Praveen. What EFF is doing is partly a reflection of what is going on within the factions within the ANC. It was interesting to see political liaison of the BLF coming into the fray at the State Capture Commission. Yes, you, you know, in politics they tell you that if you want to unite people or different fractions, give them a common enemy. We want, if you give them a common enemy, uh, they are likely to unite. So if you want South Africans to be very South Africans today, just get someone to unleash a missile from Zim towards this country, and then we'll all feel strongly to be South African. Do you think that the EFF at some point will come clean with some evidence? I suspect the EFF will make a submission. They have threatened to make a submission, but they want all these people that they have within their radar to go to the commission and make their submissions, and then when all they've done, and then they can come up and, you know, and submit their own, you know, um, type of evidence. But here's the interesting part. I think because the narrative around the state capture 
suggests that some are saints uh, and some are evil. You find that those that are submitting now are enjoying that sainthood status, you know, in terms of the narrative. And I think people forget that there's still going to be cross-examinations. On your list, you had reshuffle of the cabinet. What's your take on this story? You know, if I, if I was a newspaper editor, my headline would have said the reshuffle that never was. It's not too much of a reshuffle. Look, if this two had not left, there would not have been a reshuffle. I think what he did, he did two things. One, in the main, he tried politically to play, to play it safe within the internal dynamics of ANC Tripartite Alliance politics. So he tried to play it safe. But then on the other hand, he tested his inclination to reducing the cabinet by reducing the cabinet numbers, but also mainstreaming or re-engineering how cabinet is structured and it functions. So I think he did extremely well in terms of the mainstreaming and the restructuring of cabinet on the one side, but in terms of changing of the personnel, it still largely remained business as usual. In terms of coverage or non-coverage of stories, which one has been your biggest concern? I think the way that that issue of the 500,000 was sneaked in. I'm carefully saying sneaked in because the president was out of the country uh, in a big function at the AU where continental issues are being discussed. And the booth, you know, South Africans are hit with this letter that goes to the Speaker of the National Assembly. And this is within a few weeks or days prior to funding of political parties bill having to be signed. I think, if I'm not mis- mistaken, it has to be done by the 30th uh, of November. But, so it, it turns out, if you give this some inter- proper analysis, that perhaps the funding of political parties, uh, that's the easiest part. Because you fund the ANC, you know, you put it in whatever declaration form, is done dust that we all know. But the, the dangerous part is funding specific individuals within a political party that seek access to a leadership position. And then by the virtue of being leaders of in that positions, they can do as much as they can. And they are not subject to this legislation. On the balance of forces or probabilities, if you and I are business persons, and we want to influence the direction of, let's say, nuclear, you know, contract and all of that. Frankly, we are better off financing a presidential candidate or a premier candidate or a mayoral candidate, not necessarily the entire political party. We are better off funding a faction because the money is not going to an account of the political party. I mean, what do you do if you find a political party? Let's say, for example, you wanted to find the Democratic Alliance. So what do we do? You pay for the venue that they are going to use. Somebody else pays for the food. Somebody, it, it, it's, it, it does, but if you are going to pay to find a specific faction and the leader of that faction, which has strong possibilities of winning the leadership race, then you are slightly guaranteed that when these people are in power, there has to be some return on investment. 
It's not just a donation. And for me, I think because we have been so focused on political parties, we have missed out that, frankly, the dangerous part, the high-risk part, is the funding of individuals and their affection. What stories are you looking at the week ahead? The one that we are going to pursue in quite detail is the NHI. Um, cabinet will be sitting and one of the its, you know, reflection will be on the NHI. And particularly because the cost of healthcare has been in, increasing quite drastically to a point where even the middle class is complaining, you know, uh, you know, drastically about how they are also not being able to afford an appropriate, you know, healthcare. So we are going to look into that in a, in a bit more detail. And also, there's this interesting thing that just emerged that that the key drivers of the NHI bill, which is going to the cabinet, is not necessarily the managerial leadership of the Department of Health. It's run from the president. And I suspect there could be some serious, you know, contestations on how to proceed. Also remember that this has been seven years in the making. And if there's going to be any negative stain on Minister Mutsualedi, it will have been this inability to see this legislation through. But given the increased cost of living and health care, I think this is the issue that we should be more concerned about next week. That was our SCBC political editor, Dumasani Shlope, with his top stories for the week that was and the week ahead. Well, it's that time of the day when you, of the morning rather, where you can call us on 891 and let me know what's on your mind. The top stories for the week that was and the week ahead. Eddie, you're calling us from Udendal's Res. Yes, my brother. How are you this I'm morning? Very well, sir. And you? No, thank you very much. Jumbo Africa. There you go. Well, the, first, <laughs> the first point will be the Zondo Commission and the African Forum and the State. I'll put it that way <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, on online issue. Then the other one, the continuing noise outside the Commission. It will continue even this week. And um, yeah, those are the, my two issues that I think it, uh, they, they will go through. Mm-hmm. Why do you think the Zondo Commission is such a hot topic? Come again? Why do you think the Zondo Commission is such a hot topic with lots of noises outside? No, as you say, I'm sure this week is uh, that guy, <laughs> Jimmy Mani, isn't it? Uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> it, it will be very interesting. Oh, I forgot the last one. The last one is the SABC, the mm-hmm. new minister. Yes. Yeah, I'm sure she'll, yeah, she'll have a lot of work to do. Yeah, the one of the noise, um, I should think that the noise will continue as long as people are, uh, they, they have issues, uh, issues to, um, to, to ask for. Um, they'll, they'll continue to make noise outside. And we need that noise that is outside to be converted into noise inside the commission. <laughs> All right. Okay. Thank you so much, Eddie, in Woodendale Street. Wiella, you in Bedford View. Very good morning to you. Yes, morning. You know what makes me narr when I listen up from ANC, when they want to change the city names? Really, Dada, what benefits a person who's poor in the rural areas to change the PE name to whatever Nelson Mandela's painting. Mm. And I'm just sick and tired of listening to everything that's going to call Mandela, Mandela, Mandela. What's wrong with PE? What's wrong with EBI? 
Yes. Really, they cannot make them I mean, think better. There are people that suffering with a mm-hmm. kidney failure doesn't have the chronic units in yes. the South Africa. All Why right. they don't spend money on health? Okay, Vuyela in Bedford View. But this is the week that was, and we want to know what was your top story. We also spoke to the Mail and Guardian business editor, Kevin Davey, about his top stories for the week that was and the week ahead. Tell us about your top stories for the week that was. Okay, I'm guessing that there might be what more or less everybody would choose. I mean, Zonda, the Zonda Commission continues to dominate things. And uh, I guess we all watch the Cabinet um, mini reshuffle with some interest. And I think there was quite a lot of disappointment around that generally, I suppose. And then a story that continues to preoccupy me is Eskom and it, as it... Um, tries to keep the lights on and, you know, with obvious uh, consequences for all of us if it, if it fails. Mm-hmm. All right. So let's uh, go to the top story. Zondo Commission, the former Director General of National Treasury, uh, Lungisa Vazile, as he outlined how his relationship with the former finance minister, Des van Rooyen, was broken for when he joined the, the department. Vazile says that people were removed and replaced with those who were either suggested by the Guptas or were connected to them. And a lot more came out even prior to that uh, with the former finance minister, Pravin Gordhan. Yeah, for me, I think everyone was interested and there was quite a lot of build-up ahead of the uh, testimony. I think it was delayed a couple of times. Is what exactly would Praveen Gordon say? Because he was such a key figure and he kind of held the line and um, you know for quite a long time. And so he was obviously quite um, central. And so I think we were looking forward to his testimony and then there was questions around how the, some of the material was leaked and so on. But I think the much more interesting person to me was Lungisa Fuzili, was the uh, Director General at the time, and I sadly lost the private sector, a man of you know, considerable talent. But uh, the detail that he came up with, where this person who was Des Von Ruen, who's suddenly at the helm of the economy and has these two people, or maybe three if you count another hanger-on, Mabasa, that are now kind of giving orders and direction to the, this new finance minister who doesn't even know what their roles are. And, you know, there's the director general looking at this, who has got the legal accounting responsibility, looking at this whole charade, this farce, this, with the greatest of concern. And, and that's how bad we were. That's, that's how far this administration had pushed us at that time, the, the Zuma administration. And then, of course, the second story, uh, the reshuffle. Now, we've seen somebody call it a reshuffle, but it was a mini reshuffle, and somebody says it was more like a no-shuffle at all. Thoughts? There is that, and I think it's sort of well understood that there were a couple of appointments that had to be made after Malusi Gagaba uh, resigned, and then the death of, um, of the environment minister. So, I mean, we did get a little bit of Ramaphosa because, you know, he... He put he made he put two ministries into one, but we still got two departments. And then, you know, he moved uh, um, the water affairs minister previous, uh, Makunyani. So there was a tiny little bit of change, but it seems to be more of Ramaphosa, quite slow burn, quite slow. Um, you know, I mean, very very slowly. And for for some critics, I think for a lot of critics, moving too slowly generally then, but then his supporters will say, well, add all the stuff together, you know, we are moving in the right direction.
And then we also look at ESCOM keeping the lights on. Can they still hold it together? It doesn't look like it. Yeah, and obviously if they fail, we all fail. So um, it's obviously extremely important. And I think what's long overdue now is less of tinkering and much more of what a radical restructuring looks like, a, a plan that sort of faces up to the real crisis that we face at the moment. And that means quite significant restructuring. It's not a business as usual. It's not in a, an attempt to just carry on trying to borrow yourself out of the out of the uh, borrow money to to transform the situation. We're reporting this week, and it's not just us, it's that uh, it's the Mail and Guardian, that um, in the last period now, it, it's um, its revenues are actually lower, that's its cash revenues, than its interest bill. So this, this entity um, is in serious, serious trouble, and it's so big, and there's so much debt there that... Uh, we really do need a plan, and we need a, a kind of grown-up plan. We need a, a plan that faces up to the realities, so that we can we can fix this and as something that's really core to the the entire economy. In terms of media coverage from the stories that you've listed as the top stories, including, of course, what happened this week with the Reserve Bank, the Monetary Policy Committee that has decided to hike the repo rate, and, of course, the Aegis report, uh, your sense in in relation to uh, the coverage being received by these stories? I think I would say that South Africans, you know, are tuning into this and... uh, from a news media point of view, it seems like, you know, you don't want to carry on dishing up all the bad news, but there's not a lot of good news at the moment. I mean, the one good thing is that we are looking at quite a substantial petrol price cut in uh, in December. Uh, I'll see, you know, maybe one rand fifty or even more, maybe like one rand seventy. But otherwise, these are tough times. These are tough domestic times. They're tough international times. A lot of our problems are self-inflicted. And clearly, uh, you know, if we go back to Eskom, corruption did not help. But some of it was just poor planning and not enough competition, blank checkbooks to Eskom, big projects that were going to take forever and, and, and cost more and more and require that we... So it's a mix of kind of, you know, you really do need to do things well. And unfortunately, for like the last period, we haven't done things well. And then a set of like other factors have conspired to mean that, you know, growth is is uh, barely there, and um, we face tough times for some some periods. So. Tough times ahead, but so let's take a look at the week ahead. Uh, what is the Mail and Guardian looking at in yourself? Well, me personally, I will remain uh, looking closely at Zonda. I think from the outside we had. We had a picture of what was going on, but what, what the commission is giving us is a, a view from the inside. And uh, I think going back to Lingusif and Squizili's uh, testimony, for instance, you can see just how appalling uh, the, the circumstances were. So it was reported, but it is, it is still fascinating to get kind of the other side of the story, the sort of real inside. And I think, uh, you know, the some people think it's a kind of waste of time and money, but I disagree because I think this thing is laying bare that policy matters, govern, governance matters, transparency matters. And coming out of this, you know, what we're not really seeing so far is coming from the ruling party, looking how it can hold itself to account and make sure that it's got its own checks and balances. 
so that the politicians were internally held held responsible. We still have to see much more on that front, I would say. Not to mention on the criminal front, where these people of Stadolinus blind are yet to face prosecution. And that was the Mail and Guardian business editor Kevin Davey with his top stories for the week that was.